You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to a Therapy Thursday podcast sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit lonocoffee.com, L-O-N-E-O-A-K, coffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. Today, I talked to Washington play-by-play voice Bram Weinstein taking a look at the state of the team after two games, signs of progress, areas of concern. And I talked to ESPN's Jake Trotter who covers the Browns get some insight into Washington's opponent on Sunday. And then it's time for a few mailbag questions. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. You can listen to Bram on ESPN 630 in Washington. I have a story on ESPN.com now about the Washington broadcast crew and the challenges of calling a game you can't attend. Just part of the new life during COVID. I will say the crew did a terrific job. I like their passion for what they do. It's a good group. And now, here's my conversation with Bram Weinstein. For you, before we get into the Washington football team itself, what's it been like for you broadcasting these first two games? Is this is job for you? Yeah, it's uh, it's been everything that I'd hoped it would be. Like, you know, I, I just... Sometimes, you know, it's like you wish for something and it happens and it isn't what you think it's going to be. And um, this has been everything for me. And I, I can confidently tell you it is the most fun I've ever had in broadcasting these first two games. And uh, I, you know, I felt this way when I got the job and I feel like it more now. I'll do this for as long as they let me. Like it was it was so much fun. It's an adrenaline rush like I've never felt, you know, in right. sports broadcasting. There's kind of nothing like it. And to do it, you know, for the team that I am passionate about is icing on the cake, really. Because, like, I've always known I wanted to do play-by-play because I, I get very passionate and emotional when I perform. And um, But to do it for the team that I love is it's just, you know, it's, it's really been everything I'd hoped it would be. Being able to listen to you there, you can hear the passion coming through. And, you know, so there's got to be – it feels sincere. And, and I think that's got to be something that – do you you feel that way when you're broadcasting a game? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, you know, I used to get into it at Sports Center too. Like I would get into the highlights and like I think, you know, this is supposed to be fun. Like if this ever, you know, it was funny, like last week after the first week after that comeback, like you know, there was a lot of discussion about the first go and people had talked about the broadcast and I thought it went really well, actually. And yeah, sure, like there's none of these are gonna go perfectly. Like there's moments you wish you had back. But like I, I think I said, you know on my show, I said, you know, if there's ever a day that that's not exciting to me, I'll quit. If, if watching the team that you're broadcasting for come back from 17 down to an arch rival, isn't exciting, you know, then then there's, you have no business being there. Right. Really. And so for me, like that was what an incredible way to have a debut. And now I've dealt with the first loss and let's see where it goes from here. 
So get turning forward on the field and the product, what have you thought of them after two games? Saw the comeback, saw kind of an ugly. So I felt after Philadelphia, I think you felt the exact same way. And I heard it on your podcast. I felt the exact same way. My expectations for the season went unchanged after the Philadelphia game. I, I really feel like eight and eight is a really good result um, for this team. Um, their offense is going to be beyond a work in progress. Now they have an injury at a space they really couldn't afford to lose somebody with Sheriff. Um, I think they're going to have to try to figure out what their run game is. And um, frankly, you know, after this one, you know, the, the thing that concerns me most and one of the biggest issues that I think is going to be uh, something that needs to be attended to is Dwayne Haskins' accuracy. That at some point he is going to have to either be put in a position to have more success uh, by making throws that, you know, he has success with or his accuracy is just going to have to somehow magically get a little bit better. Um, but outside of that, you know, the defense, the D lines as good as advertised. Chase Young is clearly as good as advertised. We can sit there and jump on Troy Apke all day if we really want to. But overall, I think the defense has been pretty good. Clearly against Philadelphia, they were the final three quarters. And I think they did a pretty good job against Arizona about as well as you potentially could do. Um, so I think it's exactly where I thought it would be. The defense is going to carry them. The offense is going to be a work in progress. They don't have a lot of playmakers on that side of the ball. So they're going to have to scheme things up and Haskins is going to have to make people better. So I, you know, and I don't know if that's possible this year, which is why I think when Ron Rivera said last week, it might take till next year before the offense gets going. I felt that that was honest, you know, and I, I, I felt like that that was, that sounds about right. And, you know, we'll, we'll see, but I like their competitive drive and I like the makeup of the D line. It's nice to have a unit where you go, they're really good in one spot. Like they are set and really good at one spot. It's nice to hang your hat on something and, um, and hopefully they'll just get better, but I'm expecting an up and down season and I'm hoping 500 is where they end up. I think 500 would be good for them given what they've had to go through with Dwayne. Do you, you know, when you talk about the accuracy, do you feel that can be corrected just through experience and, and maybe getting a little bit more help around? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, listen, I think we're all in a position of if you're going to be all in with Rivera, which a couple of things happened this past week where the there was a test of the faithful, you know, and he's in a position now where it's new. Things are different. Everything's different around him. There's no reason not to buy in. He's got a pedigree. He clearly is a leader. There's like a lot of reasons to get behind him, right? But he did two things this week that I think, you know, any other coach in any other situation, you would have been like, what? Like, and it was one was the comment about the offense where you almost never hear someone say it's going to take us a year, right, to get something right. Like, we would skewer Jay Gruden over saying something like that. Like, really? What are you talking about? And then not using their timeouts in Arizona. I mean, that was really, look, I didn't think they were coming back either. And granted, I was watching it off TV like everybody else, you know, but I didn't get the, it wasn't, it didn't feel like Philadelphia. He did not feel like they were coming back in that game. That said, you play to win the game, hello, <laughs> you know, and to not exhaust all of what they had at their disposal to make something like a Cowboys-Falcons crazy ending happen was a little different to get used to. And I heard his explanation for it. And again, I'm not like not on team Ron here, but those were two things that happened this past week where you would go, okay, wait, but what is, what's the motivation here, you know, for this season? Is this really just a, let's figure it out and we'll see where we are in 2021 or 
I don't know what's wrong with trying to win now too. You know, like there's, there's, I'm kind of in the middle on that. And, you know, it's funny, I guess it goes back to, to the, to the um, field goal versus going for a touchdown. He does seem to, he's not going to be relying on analytics. You know, he wants to go by what he considers the feel for his team. And like last week, the feeling was, and I even said this on the podcast the other day, but the feeling was against fourth down against Philly, you had all this momentum. You're going to go for it. If you don't, you got the momentum. You're going to stop and you're going to get the ball back and go. But it seems like with this team last week, young team, you don't want to do anything that's going to take away from maybe a certain level of confidence or whatever. But that doesn't necessarily speak to the timeout situation. You know, and so that's, you know, that that's one where I think it's it's going to be interesting to see. I also wonder, Bram, the honeymoon period. There's been a lot of talk about how people like that he's in charge, and I still think they should feel that way. One game doesn't change that, but it does show you sometimes how quick the honeymoon period goes. Yeah, I, I think my point is, though, I don't think it's over. Like, I, But he did do a couple of things that kind of test you a little bit, you know, for the first time. And the timeout one was the one where I I was kind of even during the broadcast was saying like I don't know why they're not using their timeouts here. Um, not that I think they're going to come back and win, but you just don't know. I mean, the Falcons showed you. Sometimes people forget how to recover an onside kick, and crazy things happen. You know, like you just don't. What if Kyler Murray fumbles a snap and Chase Young picks it up and runs it forty yards, and the next play they hit McLaurin for a touchdown, and then all of a sudden at least it's tense, you know, for a moment. So I I don't know. Like I that for me was surprising you know but it does kind of fall in line with what the message has been all along which is tempered expectations we don't expect to compete you know for a super bowl everybody's on board with that we are building something here get on board with it and i think so far kind of everybody is and i think that that's healthy and honest but there are some moments where i'm sitting there going yeah but it's still okay to win (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing wrong with actually winning the game like like losing doesn't serve any purpose to me so you know if they end up going eight and eight or or if they somehow get to nine and seven like that's that's an ahead of schedule moment for them and if if it takes something like this you know where they get lucky and steal one because you know then I, i don't see what's wrong with that going forward what do you expect browns on sunday what do you expect from this team, not just in terms of like win-loss, but after seeing in the first two weeks, what are your expectations just even for Sunday? So I'm really, I've not watched Cleveland yet. I want to. Um, I'm going to watch them this week to get ready for them. I mean, just on paper, the names that they have on offense, it's just they should be dominant. <laughs> um, and, they're, and they're not. So I want to kind of see why. And, you know, I just, you know, just early judgment without having watched them is, this is probably a close game. It probably shouldn't be in terms of like a talent matchup. It probably shouldn't be, but, um, but it's probably going to be, you know, Cleveland better than I do, you know? And so I anticipate, like, I, I appreciate that this team this is two weeks in a row that they've been down by a massive number in the past. Those went sideways quick. There was no comeback or fighting them. So I'm pretty bullish on that this is a new day with a new team, with a new attitude. They don't panic in these bad situations. And that other team on the other sideline has been known to panic even more often than this one does. So let's see what happens if Washington gets a lead. I would like to see what that looks like and how Cleveland reacts to something like that, knowing what the pressure is on their group. Absolutely. And the last thing I want to ask you, too, is for because when you're looking at this team, I've kept saying you know, about growth. What to you are the signs of growth you want to see most 
not just Sunday, but in the next several weeks even. I think I just I, I think more than anything, the most important thing this year is that Dwayne Haskins just gets better in general. And I think we'll it's a know it when we'll see it, and the coaches will tell us when we see it because the future is hinged on him being good. Um, and then they can go find. Obviously, they need skill position people around him. But if if he's not going to be a above average top level quarterback, they're going to have a hard time really competing. So I, I think I want to see him get better. Um, I saw from week one to week two, I thought Antonio Gibson looked way better like in week two hard running down in the middle of the field this is not a guy who was traditionally a running back in college i thought he was way better uh mclaurin was every bit the playmaker they've they've asked for out of him um i'd like to see a little more out of the secondary too i was a, a bit a bit surprised especially with how much pressure the defensive line is getting been a bit surprised how vulnerable they have been um and i don't you know i'm trying not to chalk it up to what are you asking for against DeAndre Hopkins and Larry Fitzgerald? Like, let's be fair. It's like Hall of Fame receivers running around out there. Um, but I, I expected out of camp a little bit more out of the secondary. So hopefully we'll see a little bit more there. But for me, it's really, I'm watching Haskins very, very, very closely. You know, like, I love the upside. I love the ceiling. I love what he did in the offseason. But on the field, he's got to be able to execute. And um, if they can't execute at a higher level, I, I see them having a hard time really competing long term. Bram, thank you very much. All right. After this break, I'll be back with ESPN's Jay Trotter. We go over some areas Washington can, can attack the Browns, Bill Callahan's influence with Cleveland, and is this the week Odell Beckham is getting traded? I always forget. You've heard me talking about Lono Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lono Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, loanoakcoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lono Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right. Put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E-O-A-K, coffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with ESPN's Jake Trotter. Jake, I want to get right to what seems to be an improved area for the Browns, and it's going to be a good matchup this weekend because of the defensive line they're going against. But that offensive line for the Browns seems to be improved. Is that reality? I think so. I think it remains to be seen how improved, but I don't think there's any doubt that they're better than they were last year. And for all the talk, you know, we we talked about it ourselves uh, about yeah. the Browns potentially trading for Trent Williams. Uh, they seems to they seem to have found their left tackle finally in uh, Jedrick Wells Jr., the rookie out of Alabama, who's been really good uh, through the first two games of the season. They they obviously signed Jack Conklin in free agency. Uh, he didn't play in week two, but. Uh, was one of the bright spots in that week one loss at, at Baltimore. And you just look at the stats. And again, it's a small sample size. But uh, right now, they are fourth in the NFL in, in run block win rate. They are seventh 
in pass block win rate. You know, if those continue, you know, you're talking about a top five, top 10 offensive line in the league. So uh, they're going to be challenged certainly by what Washington is going to bring. But so far it's been uh, a revelation for Cleveland that they finally have a, a pretty good offensive line. And what's been the impact on Nick Chubb, Baker Mayfield and that group? Yeah, I mean, Nick Chubb right now, along with Kareem Hunt, uh, they are uh, three and one in the league in uh, yards after contact. And and so they're getting a push uh, on top of everything else. Uh, you get those guys in the open field and they are, you know, they are very dangerous. And, you know, the way they've been scheming up uh, a lot of their blocking is, OK, like we're, we're going to make sure that we have everyone accounted for but one guy. And and we, we're we going to rely on you, Kareem Hunt, and Nick Chubb to make that guy miss. And so far, they've been able to do that. But uh, the other part that, that's made that work is they've been pretty good executing that scheme. So it's not like uh, there are three guys in the backfield. There's one there. Uh, and those guys are good enough to make that 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 guy miss. So uh, that's been positive. And then Baker Mayfield, he's had time to throw. I mean, even in the Baltimore game, um, you know, he had all day to throw. And I couldn't find anybody open. And, and it, it seemed like he was, you know, not quite uh, uh, certain about the new scheme, which looked a lot a lot better in week two. But uh, they, they have given him the time to to make throws downfield. And last year, you know, they uh, Baker was sacked uh, more often per passing attempt than anybody in the AFC. So both on both accounts, it's been a huge improvement. What have you have you heard? I know because we can't talk to guys one on one, it can be hard for this. But what about Bill Callahan's impact? People here are obviously very familiar with him. Yeah, I think he's actually going to talk uh, later this week. Uh, you know, in in anticipation of the the Washington game. I mean, it's it's hard to know specifically the impact he's had uh, as it relates to these two games. But I know just coming into the season, I mean, getting a guy like that here, so well respected, uh, you know, so knowledgeable, so experienced, um, they felt like it was going to make a huge difference. Um, you know, particularly as they were, you know, incorporating some new parts, and then you know, with Wills being a rookie. Uh, you know, bringing him along. So, I mean, I I think the the proof is in the pudding right now that he has been a difference maker for them and getting this offensive line to play in a cohesive way. You have been around Baker Mayfield for a while, covering him in college, and then last year, now this year. Does he look different to you? He, first year and second year, very different years. Does he look different to you this year? If so, how? Well, first year, second year, I mean, first game, second game this year. I mean, he was terrible in the first game, and Man, there was a lot of talk in Cleveland about like, uh, you know, they're going to be drafting the quarterback in, in 2021. And then he was spectacular in week two. Uh, now, he maybe played the best team in the NFL in week one and maybe the worst in week two going from Baltimore to Cincinnati. So I, I still think we know yet. Um, I thought week two was a, a really nice sign for him going forward. Uh, you know, Baker's accuracy, which escaped him last year, was back. In that game, you know, he was getting the ball to Odell Beckham, you know, was decisive, uh, you know, had the interception late in the game. Uh, he, he right now has had a pick in eight straight games, which is the highest uh, streak in the NFL right now. But I, I thought it was encouraging. Again, it's just too soon to tell. You know, I think, you know, Washington, they play Dallas uh, next weekend on the road. I mean, I think these next three or four games will give us a better feel. But, man, the, the first two results were so starkly different. It's really hard to, to – make an evaluation of, of whether we're getting Baker of 2018 or Baker 2019. I, I think it's going to be closer to the latter, but you know, we, we, we need to see more from him uh, to make that determination. 
And obviously, he's had more experience than Dwayne Haskins, but it did tell you the growing pains of a young quarterback. How committed do you think they are to him? Or is it just going to be, hey, see where it goes? Or do you think a Stefanski is deeply committed to him? Yeah, I mean, I think the organization is all in on Baker. I mean, they're going to give him every opportunity to succeed. When you look at the offseason, every move they made on that side of the ball was about trying to give Baker more support, whether it was signing the two tackles or drafting one of them, and then signing Austin Hooper, a tight end that he could work to over the middle of the field, which they didn't have last year. So, uh, you know, bringing in Case Keenum was more about supporting Baker than it was trying to bring somebody in who could take his spot, uh, which is why they carefully chose him to be the backup. So, I mean, I think everything they did was was to find out if he's the guy. And and so, uh, you know, he's going to have a long leash uh, and and – you know, if they had lost to Cincinnati, I mean, I think the clamor would have would have ratcheted up another level. But I, th- I think right now, I mean, uh, it's very difficult to envision a scenario when Baker is not the the quarterback this year. Um, you know, even if they struggle, because they got to find out. You know, he's an extension eligible after this year. A fifth year option is on the table after this year, and this is a franchise that has an ad, as you know, John, a fr- uh, uh, a quarterback, a franchise quarterback since Bernie Kosar, which is you know, we're talking about the eighties. Yeah. That was back in when I was a kid. <laughs> well, I forget. Is this the week where Odell Beckham is going to be traded, or is this a week where he's not going to be traded? Which week are we in here? With yeah, Odell? we're on the not not traded week. You know, it goes okay. back and forth. And uh, it, it's like it's funny. I, Schefter, it seems like about once every five weeks, we'll have a story on Sunday morning saying uh, Odell is not going to be traded. I'm like, was he going to be traded? Were people <laughs> did people actually think that was going to happen? Um, now. You know, the opener was rough. You know, he had a second lowest receiving total and, you know, the body language was bad. And and so, again, I think that was, you know, encouraging that they were able to kind of put some stuff together, at least to ease the tension. Um, but it's going to be something that's just going to continue to, I think, occasionally bubble up with this team. You know, is Odell happy? You know, should they trade him? Um, I mean, I think you look at their allocation of resources. They've got a lot of money committed to the wide receiver position. And with all these potential extensions coming up with guys like you know baker mayfield and and nick chubb and denzel ward and and on down the list that you know couldn't they afford to to have that much money committed uh between two guys and jarvis landry and and odell um but i mean i think for right now um they're, they're not looking to make any kind of move um because they feel like he raises their ceiling which he certainly does defensively what's been the tale here you got miles garrett there's some talent seemed like there's some rough patches in those first couple games though yeah they've they've got some problems defensively um now they're going to get a lot of guys back potentially for this game uh cornerback greedy williams has been out with a shoulder injury uh mac wilson which uh who uh hyper hyper extended his knee the the first week of training camp i think kevin johnson who had a uh their starting nickelback who had a lacerated liver i mean all three of those guys have a chance to to be back for this game uh, they're practicing again, and that's where the weakness of this team has been, just the you know middle of the field. They can't cover anybody. They're having problems tackling uh, right there. So um, now, now those three guys, none of them are superstars, but they're better than than what they're firing out there right now, particularly at um, you know, nickel and, and linebacker. So uh, I, th- I think that'll be a help. But, um, you know, this is a defense that I think is a, a big question mark. And when they have the injuries they did, you know, especially losing Grant Delpit, their second-round safety a guy they really felt like had to be a, a chance to be a standout for them. You know, it, it hurts. So uh, they, there might be some games where they have to outscore some people this year. Last, last one, Jake, and I appreciate you joining me. When you look at that defense and you got Miles Garrett up on the front, 
facing a, an offensive line that has had some issues. Where, besides Miles Garrett, first of all, I'll just talk about him just for a second about what he adds. Where else are they? How do they look along the rest of that front? Yeah, they look they look okay. A little bit banged up. Uh, Olivier Vernon, uh, their other defensive end, has has had an abdomen injury. Um, you know, he's TBA for this weekend. Uh, Adrian Claiborne, their third defensive end, has got a hip injury. He's TBA. Um, you know, in, in defensive tackle, they lost Andrew Billings to an opt out before the season due to COVID. So they're they're kind of thin along the defensive line, uh, like everywhere else uh, defensively, but. Uh, you saw in the Cincinnati game, I mean, Miles can change the game in one play. And, you know, the Browns have gotten stuffed at the goal line. Cincinnati takes over. Uh, they've got a chance to, to to make it a ball game again. And Miles comes off the edge and forces a fumble on Joe Burrow. And the Browns will cover it the two. And, they're you know, they're back in the end zone to kind of retake command. So that's what you get from him. He can, he can change the game. Now, I think they want him to be a little bit more consistent because at times he'll disappear. But, in terms of, of guys defensively that can make that kind of play, he's on that list. And so you always have to account for where he is. Otherwise, uh, you know, he could be the difference in uh, you winning and losing a game. Jake, awesome insight. I appreciate appreciate you joining me. Um, thanks for coming out, man. No problem, John. After this break, I'll be back with your Therapy Thursday questions. Dwayne Haskins, where can they find help and more? Welcome back. Now, on to your mailbag questions. And let's start with James at Real MU Grad. I keep waiting to see if the WFT will run some plays that put extreme pressure on the defense, like with Gibson in the one-on-one as a receiver versus a linebacker. With a coordinator script plays to start the game would help start for sure. James, it's not plays that put extreme pressure on the defense, it's players. They don't have players who put extreme pressure on the defense. Terry McLaurin puts pressure on them. Tyreek Hill, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, they put extreme pressure on a D. That's the difference. Having said that, I've been surprised that Gibson hasn't been a bigger factor in the pass game, and I was looking for the same matchups you were. Now, I do know last week that they needed to use their backs in protection quite a bit. I have a feeling they'll be used more Sunday at Cleveland and test them as, test them with their linebackers, trying to get matched against those linebackers with he and J.D. McKissick. It's a game-by-game basis here. And also, when I looked at the opener, when they went to those two running back sets, which is when you should get those mismatches if a team stays in their base defense. Problem is, Philly went to their nickel defense, so they were bringing an extra corner in so they could cover those backs with, with defensive backs. So Washington tried to run the ball those sets. That was where the problem was. You're taking a linebacker out. You better run the ball better than what they did. That's how you get those matchups. You run the ball well in those situations, now they play with a linebacker. Now you get those matchups. So that's how you can get that. But I am like you. I've been waiting to see that too. I think we're going to start seeing some of that soon or seeing more of that. But again, it's it's not plays that put the extreme pressure. It's players. And I wonder, as far as your script goes, scripting plays is common, so that's really not the answer. I do wonder if we'll see a different style to start the game this week, maybe a little bit more up-tempo. Can't do it all game. In the end, you still need good players, and to truly possess the ball, you need accuracy from your quarterback as well. That's how you get consistently. You can stay in those up-tempo situations. If you go up-tempo and you go three and out, defense doesn't like you very much at all. They're not really equipped to play this way for more than stretches, but I do think they can play for more stretches and maybe a little bit more than what they've done. Find Terry McLaurin a little bit earlier as well. That also would help. 
All right, let's go to Mac Daddy Puff Puff at Original Wizard. Do you think the WFT will acquire help on the O-line, secondary, or receiving core? Mac Daddy, you left off tight end too, my man. Here's the thing. Everybody wants teams to build the right way until they lose a game. Then they want to trade for everyone. Well, that's not how it works. And maybe that's not what Mac Daddy, that's, maybe that's not what you're saying or asking. I know to your question, they're always going to have their eye on waiver wire claims, etc. But to truly help, you need impact players. And you know, I know there's some people, someone else asked me about Donald Penn. Guys like that aren't the answer for what they really need. They were 3-13 and with Donald Penn last year. Uh, what they need is to find out about some of these young players, and that's what they're trying to do. They know, absolutely know, they need more talent. I've had conversations since the spring with people in the organization about this. They also know they wouldn't get this done over. They knew this wouldn't happen. This wouldn't get turned around overnight. If that's the case, and the goal is to lay a foundation, keep your draft picks, develop some young talent, and use some of the cap space they'll have available this offseason, and it's plenty. They were three and thirteen. There's no quick fix. In order to get the help that you want, you'd have to give up draft capital. People love saying they should trade Ryan Anderson, for example. You're not getting anything back but another version of him at a different position. I know that they want to hang on to their draft picks. Heck, you could be looking at another top 10 pick this year, which means high picks in the other early rounds as well. I warn people this would take time, and guess what? It is, and it could get worse in the next few weeks. We'll see. I know it's been a long wait for a good team. Unfortunately, the last few seasons left this team with a lot of work to be done moving forward. The season really is about developing young talent such as Dwayne Haskins or Antonio Gibson and guys like Antonio Gandy-Golden, Sadiq Charles. Those are guys that if they develop in the second half of the year, now you got something and you, you're going to find that out. This is, fans don't want to hear it, but this is like a, I wouldn't say a gimme year or an exhibition year because you still want to win. You always play to win. But I do think they're going to find out a lot about young players and then I think they can really make their move. The other thing, here's what else is going on now, too. The front office is learning what these coaches want. Like Coaches can tell them what they want, but when you watch how guys are used, then you learn what they want. So now you can move forward. This is a year where it's really about discovery. Again, fans just don't want to hear that, and I don't blame them. It's been a long road. I don't blame you, but that's the situation that we're in right now. Finally, let's go to John Sharp. And you're going to find out real quick why I answered this one. Hi, John. Longtime fan of your work. Always like that. Anyway, a lot of concern among fans about Haskins. What I see is a young quarterback with a great arm release who is improving while learning a new offense with no OTAs preseason and a coach who believes in him and is willing to develop him. Concerns warranted? Well, thanks, John. As I said, compliments do work sometimes. So you're, you're right in your assessment of what you see in Haskins. He does have a very good arm. He has the arm talent. He is improving. He is learning a new offense. No OTAs, no pro preseason. And he does have a coach who, whether or not he believes in him, he is supporting him. And because I don't know truly how much Ron Rivera believes in him, I do know how much he is supporting him and giving Haskins a foundation that he can help build his game. When he was took over as a coach or when he interviewed for the job, a big sales pitch or big part of his pitch to, to Dan Snyder was his plan to develop Dwayne Haskins. And that means being patient with him, giving him a lot of time to develop, and, and then trying to eventually fill in talent around him. But that's going to take time in the offseason. But there is a plan to develop him, and then we'll go from there. Then, you know, we'll see from there. But are the, then he asks, are the concerns warranted? Well, here we go. Here's what I know of Haskins. He started nine NFL games, and I can't say that often enough. The Jets in Cleveland are still unsure about their young quarterbacks 
who've started around 30 games each. Haskins also has only had 14 starts in college. He has a lot to clean up with his mechanics in addition to just learning the game and learning more and more about defenses and learning this offense. I can't stress enough how much the lack of a preseason hurt this team. And I'll give you Antonio Gibson as an example, as a running back. He needed to carry the ball at least 20 times this preseason so he could learn little things like, for example, lowering your shoulder through the hole. He had to learn that in his first couple games. He's learned that in practice, but you learn it. You, you know, Players will tell you that in practice, but until you go in a game and you see that it's not helping you, that's when it matters. So that's when you learn. So now that's one thing he's learned. In a normal year, you're learning that in the preseason. And as for, for Haskins, you get a chance to go out there and run some of your stuff in the preseason and, and prepare for games and all that. It's just different. Anyways, I asked one former NFL quarterback about him, and this guy likes Haskins and has always liked him. And he's, and I didn't want to name him because we were just a casual text conversation, but he said Washington's talent around Haskins is bottom third in the NFL. He wants him to be more of a technician with his feet, and I agree. He's not. An, he said, the, the former player said, he's not an off-platform thrower like Patrick Mahomes, but he too often tries to be. And his former quarterback said he thinks that Haskins gets lazy with his feet. I tend to agree with that too. Washington's coaches want him to be calm but move fast. When he goes too fast, his eyes and his feet get out of sync, and you see it happen in every game. You'd see it in practice. Saw that in college. You also see him dropping some dimes too because of that arm talent. And there's sometimes he makes just some gorgeous throws. He can make throws when he's off, somewhat off platform, but he can't in the long haul. It's not a way for him to win. He can't fall back on winning with his legs like a Murray or a Jackson, you know, or even extend the plays like an Aaron Rodgers. So he has to be consistent from the pocket. It's way too early to write him off. He's grown a lot. I know there's not a lot of talent offense. If Gibson, McKissick, and maybe Gandy Golden blossom over the course of the year, that would help. It gives you a base going forward. Haskins does need more help, but he can't let that determine his growth. Or he's, There are things he can control. The, the talent around him hurts his numbers, but that's different. There's so many areas that young quarterbacks have to grow. So are the concerns warranted? Well, I think they're all part of the puzzle. I think it's all things that you say, let's see growth in this area. Do his mechanics get better? How much better can they get? And I'll say for about the 100th time, this was not a season to expect a fast start, given all the reasons you listed. Youth, offseason, new offense, little premium talent. You can't just dial up certain plays and think that it's going to compensate for that. That's not how it works in the NFL. There are certain plays you can't help, but you need playmakers, and you need this to develop overall. It does take time. I do think he warrants patience. Then let's see if there's growth. That's what a lot of the, that's what this season offensively really will become about. After this year, I think we'll have a good answer as far as what direction Haskins will be going and what direction they'll probably go with him. Anyway, that's it for this week. Thank you to Bram and Jake for joining me. Thanks to Lone Oak Coffee for their continued support. And most of all, thank you for your continued listening. As always, it's appreciated. I'll talk to you Monday morning.